a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding, Lord, a depth of insight, we pray, that the Spirit will move among us here in these, in these moments gathered together in this place. We pray for those listening, wherever they may be, at whatever time. I pray for the work of your Spirit to teach us about heavenly truth and heavenly reality, even though we are so locked in to this world and the things of this world and the pressures of day-to-day life. And yes, unfortunately, even the pressures of this season. Lord, I pray that your spirit will work to free our hearts and free our minds of the things that have so captured us and, and, and hold us back from fully experiencing this new life that you give us. Lord, I pray for those of us gathered here today who are struggling with doubt. I pray for words that will convince and assure. Lord, for those struggling with disbelief, I pray for an encounter with your truth that will break down barriers. Lord, for those of us who are struggling simply because we're distracted and we're looking more to the world than to you, Lord, I pray for a a refocus, a repentance to come, to shift our eyes from this lowly plane to your lofty place, and then our heads will be lifted high as we look to you. Lord, for those of us who are simply weary, we're weary of the news. We're weary of work, even work for you, Lord. I pray for a fresh wind, a fresh work of your spirit to bring life. As always, Father God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to be glorified as your son Jesus is lifted up. And as we look to him, Lord, may the glory go to you as our great and gracious heavenly Father and sovereign God. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, your Son, O Father God, that we do pray and come before you as your children through faith. Amen. Would you please be seated?
The passage I have read is the immediate context that leads up to perhaps the most famous, most well-known verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. We've seen the verse, it's referenced. We've heard it, if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard it hundreds if not thousands of times. It's one of the most well-known verses there is. But the context for that verse is this discussion with Nicodemus, an aged, wise, influential, powerful leader among the Jewish people. As a member of the Sanhedrin and as as a Pharisee, he was well-versed. He was deeply steeped in the Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Word of God. And he knows that there is something intriguing about Jesus because of the works that Jesus does the miracles, the the teaching of profound truth and amazing insight into the things of God. It was mesmerizing and captivating. No one had ever spoken like him or done the things that he did. There was plenty of charlatans. There was plenty of magic workers and, and people who would prey on those who would be perhaps easily swayed. There was no shortage of them in the ancient world, just like there's no shortage of them today. Workers of magic, sleight of hand, those who can impress people. But the miracles of Jesus were different. They were on a scale and a scope, and they were verifiable, unlike anyone else. And so Nicodemus knew there was something different about Jesus. But he comes to Jesus at night, perhaps because they wanted, he wanted some uninterrupted time, most likely because the paparazzi had gone home. And there would be no record of this account, so Nicodemus thought. He's recorded for all of history now. He comes to Jesus at night, and they have this discussion. Jesus immediately gets to the point, Nicodemus, you are a teacher of Israel. You have seen the things of God. The work of the Spirit is beginning in your life because you're able to recognize the, the, the works of God as the truth of God, but there's still something more. You must be born again. These words about being born again And then coming to this conclusion that as he teaches to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, a weird story we'll get to in just a moment. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever looks to him and believes will be saved. This talk about salvation and being born again was very strange to some Jewish ears. Jesus concludes this message to Nicodemus with this amazing illusion and powerful truth. You see, the Jewish people's understanding had always been that their salvation was based on being Jewish people. Salvation was ethnically based. It was automatic. Now, yes, there was supposed to be a response to God and an an, an allegiance to God and, and obedience to the commands of God. But Jesus cuts that off at the knees. And he says, there are those born of the flesh and then there are those born of the Spirit. Those born of the Spirit are the ones who are truly the children of God. They're the ones who are truly born again. They are the people of God. Ethnicity 
In fact, nothing of the flesh can achieve, can earn, can attain, can deserve salvation. There's no amount of good works that can make us good enough. There is no way to adhere to the the finer points of the law. There is no level of moral purity we can attain. But rather, salvation is given through a new kind of life, a life from the Spirit, by the Spirit, in the Spirit. It's this work of the Holy Spirit that brings life. And the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation is belief in the Son of Man who is lifted up. This phrase, Son of Man, is a little bit strange to us. We don't really talk like that. It was somewhat common in Jewish literature and in in some of the, the Jewish circles. Son of Man, first off, was a reference to simply being human. It it reminds us that we are not God. That's a pretty important reminder. But in some of the Jewish literature, son of man was also a reference to a very special individual, a very mysterious figure in the book of Daniel and, and a few other books in Jewish literature outside of the Bible. This Son of Man is a divine being Himself who stands in the presence of God and whom God the Father bestows upon this being immense authority over the kingdoms of the earth. Belief in the Son of Man who is lifted up, it's not about seeing as mere sight, it's about insight seeing Jesus for who he truly is, not just a teacher of great things, not just a worker of miracles, but who he truly is, what those miracles mean, and what his life and death and return to life mean as well. To believe, we must receive Jesus was lifted up twice at the cross and then at the ascension, which we looked at just a little bit last week. Jesus' reference to the the serpent being lifted up is a really weird, unique story just tucked in to the book of Numbers. It's actually only a handful of verses for something that is so significant and so meaningful in the plan of God and so traumatic for the people of God, you think it would get a little more play in the Bible. But it's just kind of tucked away. It's just in Numbers 21. It's just a few verses. It's recorded as just a very simple fact of history. Here's the story. This is during the wilderness wanderings after the Israelites were set free from Egypt and before they were able to enter the promised land, their, their 40 years of wandering. As was their custom, they began to gripe. This is how it's recorded. They traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. Are we there yet? The answer for 40 years is no. And stop hitting your brother and sister. That's that's a textual variant. Not many manuscripts have that. They grew impatient on the way. 
they spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. It gets worse from there. Verse 6, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived one of the origins of the caduceus, which is the symbol of medical healing, you know, the snake on a cross or snake on a pole. At one point in the wilderness, the Israelites became impatient and spoke against God and against Moses to punish their insolence and to bring about repentance. God sent poisonous snakes that afflicted and killed many. The cries of repentance were answered with an avenue of healing, of deliverance. Their salvation, which that's actually what the word uh, healing is what the word salvation literally means, depended on the obedience of looking upon the bronze snake. You see, they were still going to get bit. They were still going to be in pain. They were still going to suffer. But if they looked to the bronze snake on the pole, they would be healed. As Jesus makes that reference, John inserts a little truth that that's how uh, he, Jesus was making a reference to how he would die, his being on the cross. The actual cross was not lifted up very high. We often picture it as being 10 to 15 feet high. But in reality, most crosses were only a couple of feet off the ground. And so Jesus would have been just above eye level with those who crucified him, those who were watching. But the cross would be lifted nonetheless. The Son of, God, Son of Man must be lifted up. Those who look to him and believe will be saved. After Jesus' death, he returned to life. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Everything is built upon it. And 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus had been meeting with his disciples. He had been appearing to others. Well over 500 people saw him alive after he had died, after he was put in the tomb. They were convinced and they were changed. But at the conclusion of 40 days, Jesus had to ascend into heaven. He had to leave earth 
for the final time, to ascend to his rightful place to rule at the right hand of God. And as this is happening, the book of Acts opens with these words. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The Jewish mindset had always been that the the Messiah would reconstitute the 12 tribes and establish the nation of Israel as the supreme nation over all the nations of the earth. Jesus had spoken against that, but they had always missed the point. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth? Because remember, you must be born again. Born again is from the work of the Spirit. Born again is not limited to ethnicity or any work of the flesh. It is available to all people, races, tribes, tongues, ethnicities, every nation. Everybody can now be born again. And if you're born again, then you are the people of God, the children of God, the chosen of God. To the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus was lifted up on the cross, and as we look to him and as we believe we have salvation, Jesus was lifted up from this earth, and as we look to him, our salvation will be deepened because we understand that as Jesus has ascended, it was not abandoning the earth. It was not ditching his disciples. It was assuming his rightful place as the one with all authority over this earth, over all of the realm of creation. Creation is in rebellion against that authority. We see it. That's why this world is so messed up. Because the one who is rightfully reigning and ruling is being rejected. The ascension was necessary so that as Jesus took his place at the right hand of God, the Holy Spirit could be sent to indwell, to empower believers, to expand the mission, to expand the borders of the kingdom, to include more and more people who were born again. And today, we see that in this world. There are Christians in the Middle East, few in number, yes, but they are a feisty bunch. The gospel spread to Africa. And today, the church in Africa is among the fastest growing in the world, transforming that continent. The gospel spread to Europe. And as the gospel spread to Europe, what we have as Western civilization, the high marks of Western civilization, education, compassion, virtue, 
pursuit of intellect, science, medicine, technology, all of the good things of Western civilization are rooted in the expansion of the gospel coming to Europe. From Europe and from America and from other outposts as well. The gospel was then taken to South America, which is the fastest growing church, the fastest growing number of people who believe in Jesus is in South America. It has gone to Asia and Indonesia and to all the other realms of the world. The gospel has gone into countries like North Korea where it is illegal to be a Christian. And the more Christians they kill, the more Christians they create. That's just the way it works. The gospel has been taken to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The missiologists, the people who study the expansion of the gospel and the the rates of people who claim the name of Christ, who look to him and are born again through the work of the Spirit, somewhere around 150,000 people a day are estimated to become believers in Jesus. The church in China, which is mostly underground, will far outnumber the church in America and Europe combined within most likely the next few years. The gospel has gone into all the world. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. And they are born again through the power of the Holy Spirit. People all over this globe continue to look to Jesus. Lifted up on the cross for salvation, lifted up at the ascension, the reigning and the ruling from heaven for life eternal. The commission given at that ascension was to the disciples to simply witness to others what they had seen Jesus do and aid them in becoming and being his disciples as well. That's our mission also. As Jesus was lifted up for us, we then in our lives are to lift up Jesus for others. First truth, God does not have grandchildren. God only has children. Every person must look to Jesus and believe in order to receive. Personal faith which is believing in Jesus and trusting in him. It's believing that he died on the cross for our sins, your sins. It is believing that he rose from the dead, victorious over death, so that our death is not the end. It is not that which to be feared. Trusting in Jesus to grant us new life. So here's the question. Have you looked to Jesus and do you believe Do you believe that work on the cross is for your salvation to pay for your sins? Do you believe he rose from the dead so that you can be assured of a place in the kingdom of heaven eternal? Do you believe? And if you believe, have you repented? Have you turned, reoriented the direction of your life? Are you still living for yourself? Are you still living for the things of this world? Have you turned the direction of your life towards Jesus? Have you confessed that faith before others? 
most powerful words you may ever speak. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Words upon which eternity hang. Have you been baptized? Have you made that break from the way of life in the flesh to the way of life in the Spirit? Have you said goodbye to your old person and said hello to the new creation in Christ that you have been called to be? If you believe, well, first off, I want you to believe. You need to believe. But if you believe, repent, confess, get baptized, begin to walk in that newness of life. For those, who can, those of us who continue to look to Jesus and believe, our eyes have to be on Jesus. You see, our hearts get attached to what we look at. You know how much is that doggy in the window, as the old song goes? We were looking at the dog. We want to know what the, how much the dog costs and what joy that could bring to our lives. We see the commercials of everybody else in the world being gifted a GMC, you know, on Christmas morning. $60,000 cars that spouses buy without their spouse's permission or awareness. A tad psychotic, after 30-some years of doing marriage counseling, grounds for a very deep emotional issue among couples of spending that much money without permission or at least a discussion. But we see things on commercials and we begin to see them not only with our eyes but with our hearts, right? And it becomes enticing. Whether it be cars or clothes or gadgets or gizmos or travel or even, unfortunately, people, we look at things, and the more we look at them with the eyes, we begin to look at them beyond the eyes. We begin to look at them with the heart, and when they look at the heart, it takes hold of us. So let's look to Jesus. Let's look to Jesus and let him take hold of our hearts as well. We look to Jesus when we read the Word and hear the Word and, and invest in the Word, and the Word gets into our lives. Our eyes go to Jesus through worship when we sing, whether it's on key or off key, doesn't matter. Everything is a joyful noise to God. All I ask is if you sing off key around me, do it quietly. And I say that as one who cannot sing on key except for the rare, rare occasion. We look to Jesus through witness as well. Witness is being with other Christians. We see in the book of Hebrews where we're instructed to look upon Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, mostly those who have gone before 2,000 plus years or 2,000 years of those who have believed in Jesus, who have gone before, who have stayed faithful, whose legacy that we are a part of, we're surrounded by them. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus who is lifted up. And when you fix your eyes on him who is lifted up, you and believe you will be saved. So our eyes have to be on Jesus. In fact, our identity of who we truly are in this world has to be based and built on the saving work of Jesus and our status as a new creation in Christ. In Christ, we die to self. We die to sin. We die to the world. The flesh, which is of no value for eternity. The flesh, or that is what is earthly in you, remains but must be vigorously and continually fought. This is where the real work of the Holy Spirit comes in. To continually crucify us. As Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did Paul still sin? Yes. Did Paul still struggle? Yes. Did Paul still get discouraged? Yes. Did Paul still get distracted? Yes. But none of that negated the truth that through faith in Christ, he too died to sin and lived a new life in Christ. It's the same story for us. Paul writes in Colossians, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's our identity. It's not what we do for a living. It's not how we occupy our time. It's not even necessarily our our ethnicity or our, our, our racial bloodlines. Our identity is Child of God, saved by grace. That's who we truly are. Then lastly, as we lift up Jesus for others, it means our stories and our service must be centered on Jesus humbly, gratefully, and intentionally. There's an old saying, it's described, it says, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Great sentiment, but here's the truth. Preach the gospel at all times. Yes, words will be necessary. <laughs> at some point, it's not just enough to be a nice person, to be a dependable person, a reliable person, a good person, a moral person, a helpful person, a gracious person. Those things are all necessary, yes. But we are a good, well, we're a person who does good things. We're never good people. We're a person who does good things because Jesus is doing a good work in us. We are dependable because we are looking and pattering our lives after Jesus who was faithful to us. We are gracious and generous because Jesus was gracious and generous to us. We are helpful and we are, we are servant-hearted because Jesus was helpful and servant-hearted to us. And as we look to him, we are being changed by him. And that's how we let people know. It's not about us and our ability and our goodness or anything else. It's about Jesus working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we must point others through us, beyond us, to Jesus 
because he's the one who is supposed to get the credit and the glory. So make sure your story is centered on Jesus. Once I was, then Jesus, now I am. It's as simple as that. And make sure your service focuses on Jesus as well and that he gets the glory when you get the compliment.